Welcome to our message for Sunday, August the 6th. Today we begin our four-week series on the songs that we sing. Each week will feature a different one of our hymns and the story behind it. We'll see what inspired the writer to write those lyrics and how it might also inspire us as well. For this Sunday, we'll look at the hymn Amazing Grace. Our text will be the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. This is the Apostle Paul's conversion story. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Let us pray. Almighty God, remind us of your amazing power to transform lives today, that wherever we find ourselves in our life situation today, that you have better for us, and you are prepared to lead us on that path through the power of your Spirit. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. The book of Romans puts it this way, Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Just think about everything Jesus did for us. The God of the universe confined himself to the body of an infant boy. He made himself dependent on the nourishment of a teenage girl. God chose to be bathed and diapered by a young woman. Jesus lived the life of a worker, making a living by the sweat of his brow, rather than growing up in the lap of luxury in some palace somewhere. He became an itinerant preacher. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, is what he had to say about that. He lived a rough life, walking up and down the mountains of Israel uh, in sandals and a robe, carrying his message everywhere he went. At the end of his three-year ministry, he suffered a sham of a trial, unbearable torture, and brutal, humiliating execution. And he wasn't doing it for friends. He wasn't just sacrificing himself to save followers. In fact, most of his followers became martyrs for him. Jesus did all that he did, not just for his supporters but for sinners, for enemies, for those who hated his very existence. You remember his words about that. While hanging on the cross, he looked at the very people who had put him there, 
And he prayed, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Everything that Jesus did, he did for enemies, for people who hated God and had no desire for Jesus to even exist. He died for folks like Paul, perhaps the most noteworthy enemy of the church in the first century, breathing threats and murder. You see, Paul didn't just disagree with Christian theology. He wasn't just looking to debate Peter or James or some of the other early Christians. That's not what he was about. He was breathing threats and murder. He believed he had a divine calling to hunt us down and destroy us. For Paul, our young upstart religion was a threat to his orthodox Jewish faith. He viewed our very existence as an affront to God and to all that's true. He got permission from the high priest to hunt us down, to weed us out, in order to protect what he considered true religion. I wonder if any of those first century Christians prayed over Paul the final words of Psalm 143. In your steadfast love, cut off my enemies and destroy all my adversaries, for I am your servant. Those are the words of David, and I wonder if the first century Christians prayed those words about Paul. Who could blame them? The Old Testament is the only Bible that the early Christians had at that time, and it's full of references like this one, asking God to destroy our enemies, vindicate us, God, save us from the ones who are trying to trap us, uh, pray that they will fall into their own pits. Those are the prayers of the Old Testament. As Paul sought to arrest, punish, and then execute Christians, it would be natural for them to pray that prayer. Lord, cut off our enemies. But while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Maybe I want God to strike down my enemy. Sometimes, I'll be honest, I, I do. But instead, Jesus has a plan to make my enemy my friend. Jesus appears to Paul to ask why Paul is persecuting him. Now, to be sure, it wasn't a pleasant confrontation. It knocked Paul to the ground. It took away his eyesight. It must have been absolutely terrifying. But its purpose was not to destroy Paul. Rather than destroy our enemy, Saul, who was persecuting us, Jesus transformed him into arguably the greatest evangelist of the New Testament. It looks to me like Saul deserved nothing but judgment, but Jesus shows up with grace and transforms his life into something beautiful, something life-giving. The amazing thing about God's grace is that it doesn't destroy enemies. It transforms them. It transforms us and recreates us in God's image. Just look what God did with John Newton, the guy who penned the words to perhaps the most famous hymn in history, Amazing Grace. Uh, John Newton was a scoundrel from the time that he was a teen. His mother died while he was a child. His father was a sea captain, and he soon followed his father to sea and learned the rough life of uh, life on the high seas. He enslaved human beings for a profit. He was so evil that even the other slave traders didn't like him. Uh, they turned against him and put him to work cleaning up after the enslaved people. 
He was, in fact, a wretch. Now, that line in the hymn is what Newton wrote about himself. Sometimes we read that as if it's God, God's opinion of all humanity, but that's not what the hymn says, and that's not what God says. We are God's beloved, but when John Newton looked at his own life, he saw himself as a wretch. God saved him on that ship and began the long, long work of transforming him. It was in a storm on the, uh, on the way back to England when he gave his life to Christ. He prayed for that faith that his mother had tried to teach him. And he turned his life over to God, but the transformation took time. It wasn't instant. In fact, for a long time after converting to Christianity, he continued to captain a slave ship, uh, bringing, bringing slaves from Africa to South Carolina and then taking the pay back to England. But over time, God filled Newton's heart with life-changing love. Over time, God transformed Newton so that he saw his behaviors were evil, and he became one of the strongest abolitionist voices in Europe. In fact, he's credited with inspiring William Wilberforce to finally get slave trade abolished in England. And so this, this wretch who was actively working to enslave human beings became one of the strongest voices in ending slavery because God transformed him. That's what amazing grace can do. Just look what God could do with the likes of us. While I hope that I was, was never the wretch that John Newton was, I certainly had my problems, and I probably still do. I've seen in my own life how God has turned hatred into love. I've had to confess places in my life where I hated certain people because they were different, or at least I, I didn't treat them fairly or equally. And God has turned that into love and is continuing to do so. I pray that God continues that process for as long as I live. I hope that when I'm 60, I love more than I do today. When, when I'm 65, I love more than that. When I'm 70, and however long the Lord leaves me here, I hope my growth in love continues. How about you? In what ways are you still an enemy of God? Who are you still hoping God will punish? How far away from perfect love do you find yourself? Well, the good news is, the good news of amazing grace is that wherever we are, while we are enemies of God, Christ died for us. That is amazing grace. In person this week, we will gather for Holy Communion as one family at Christ's table. I pray that if you have the next opportunity, you will gather at the table with fellow believers and participate in this life-transforming, amazing grace, and invite God to, to continue to shape you into the perfect image of Christ Jesus. Amen.